0: So take your Bibles, if you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be in chapter 4 this morning, but I want to uh, go back to chapter 3 where we left off last week. I, I'll throw it up here on the, on the screen. I wanted to pull one more idea. I received a video a couple weeks ago from my friend Susan Weed, and as I was studying for this message, it really uh, jumped together for what I was talking about. So I want to be able to show that. But it says this baptism, which corresponds to this, uh, Peter was talking about the flood and Noah being rescued out and how when we're baptized we're rescued out of this world. It says baptism, which corresponds now, now saves you not as the removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Now that last phrase up there that I, I want you to uh, focus on is the one who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected, subjected to him. Now that is really an amazing statement, an amazing picture, but for most of us it's not really connected in our mind's eye, uh, in a way that moves us because it doesn't seem connected to reality. You know, we kind of have the old flannel graph picture, right? Here's the thing, and then the little cardboard Jesus moves up the thing, and we go, okay, you send it, and, you know, yeah, you're going, what's flannel graph? Okay, anyways, so, but we have that, you know, it's kind of that, eh, kind of herky-jerky, lurching kind of picture that we go, yeah, that just doesn't do much for me, right? And I'd like to this morning try to uh, make it something for us in a way that maybe takes it outside the box. Um, Because a lot of the attacks now are on this whole thing of you still believe in God, right? That's the recent ones, like if you believe in God, you don't have a brain. That's actually been around. But a lot of what's being said is, you know, hey, the people who wrote the Gospels just pre-saw Hollywood. And they knew how to write a good script. Jesus never really said or did any of those things, but they wrote a great script for him. And the world has bought this script for 2,000 years, and, but really, uh, man, it, you know, it's, it's not real. And the proof often that is offered behind that is that science has completely obliterated the myths that we grew up with and has debunked the kind of fairy tales uh, these kind of fairy tales. And and you aren't a, a modern, rational person if if you actually still buy into it. Right? And so that's the push you get from that. I want to um, kind of flip that and, and show you another side to that. So I'm going to show a short video today that I hope will change your perception of that and make this verse go really exciting uh, in the deal. Now, students, I need a favor. Um, uh, hang in with me there, because I know you you just got out of school, right? And the last thing you want to do is talk about school again, right? But, um, well, and this video actually deals with that kind of material. It's about math, right? So woohoo, right? No, but it, it's a it's a guy. Uh, his name is uh, now I'm going to say it wrong again, Machio Kaku, okay? And he's one of the most preeminent, if not the most preeminent, physicists on the planet today. So he is in that cutting-edge thinking about what is the universe and, and what it's just like. Now, as far as I know, he's not a Christian. As a matter of fact, in this little video, he uses some evolutionary language that you'll go, oh, wow, where's he come from? But I want you to look past that to look at the bigger picture of what he's talking about. Okay? He's going to talk about how the universe works. And... Uh, While he's talking, I want you to think about the question, what does it mean that Jesus went through the heavens? And I want to give some insight uh, this morning on what the mathematicians and physicists are discovering and what it says about the universe, all right? So let's roll the video, and then I'll come back up.
1: Some people ask the question of what good is math? What is the relationship between math and physics? Well, sometimes math leads... Sometimes physics leads. Sometimes they come together because, of course, there's a use for the mathematics. For example, in the 1600s, Isaac Newton asked a simple question. If an apple falls, then does the moon also fall? That is perhaps one of the greatest questions ever asked by a member of Homo sapiens since the six million years since we parted ways with the apes. If an apple falls does the moon also fall? Isaac Newton said, yes. The moon falls because of the inverse square law. So does an apple. He had a unified theory of the heavens. But he didn't have the mathematics to solve the falling moon problem. So what did he do? He invented calculus. So calculus is a direct consequence of solving the falling moon problem. In fact, when you learn calculus for the first time, what is the first thing you do? The first thing you do with calculus is you calculate the motion of falling bodies, which is exactly how Newton calculated the falling moon, which opened up celestial mechanics. So here's a situation where math and physics were almost co-joined like Siamese twins, born together for a very practical question, how do you calculate the motion of celestial bodies? Then here comes Einstein asking a different question. And that is, what is the nature and origin of gravity? Einstein said that gravity is nothing but the byproduct of curved space. So, why am I sitting in this chair? A normal person would say, I'm sitting in this chair because gravity pulls me to the ground. But Einstein said, no, 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 no. There's no such thing as gravitational pull. The earth has curved the space over my head and around my body. So, space is pushing me into my chair. So to summarize Einstein's theory, gravity does not pull. Space pushes. But you see, the pushing of the fabric of space and time requires differential calculus. That is the language of curved surfaces, differential calculus, which you learn in fourth year calculus. So again, here's a situation where math and physics were very closely combined. But this time, math came first. The theory of curved surfaces came first. Einstein took that theory of curved surfaces and then imported it into, into uh, physics. Now we have string theory. It turns out that a hundred years ago, math and physics parted ways. In fact, when uh, Einstein proposed special relativity in 1905, that was also around the time of the birth of topology, the topology of hyperdimensional objects spheres in 10, 11, 12, 26, whatever dimension you want. So, physics and mathematics parted ways. Math went into hyperspace. And mathematicians said to themselves, Aha! Finally, we have found an area of mathematics that has no physical application whatsoever. Mathematicians pride themselves as being useless. They love being useless. It's a a badge of courage being useless. And they said the most useless thing of all is a theory of differential topology in higher dimensions. Well, physics plotted along for many decades. We worked out atomic bombs. We worked out stars. We worked out laser beams. But recently, we discovered string theory. And string theory exists in 10 and 11-dimensional hyperspace. Not only that, but these dimensions are super. They're supersymmetric. A new kind of numbers that mathematicians never talked about evolved within string theory. That's why we call it super string theory. Well, the mathematicians were floored. They were shocked. Because all of a sudden, out of physics came new mathematics, super numbers, super topology, super differential geometry. All of a sudden, we had supersymmetric theories coming out of physics that then revolutionized mathematics. And so, the goal of physics, we believe, is to find an equation, perhaps no more than one inch long, which will allow us to unify all the forces of nature and allow us to read the mind of God. And what is the key to that one-inch equation? Supersymmetry. A symmetry that comes out of physics, not mathematics, and has shocked the world of mathematics. But you see, all this is pure mathematics. And so, the final resolution could be that God is a mathematician. And when you read the mind of God, we actually have a candidate for the mind of God. The mind of God, we believe, is cosmic music. The music of strings resonating through 11-dimensional hyperspace. That is the mind of God. I like that guy's hair.
0: Isn't that cool? Kind of, must be John Tremaine's brother or something. Uh, that's great. Okay, now what I want to suggest is he isn't, uh, I wouldn't go with the six million year thing and all that, but what he's close to is he's close. He's got the math of God down, right? He's talking about where that's leading to presently in the math of God. He doesn't, has not yet met the person of God, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. But what he's talking about is this equation that they're looking for is what's called in the mathematical physical world the singularity where all of this comes together and connects and they believe that they're getting closer to that. And I believe the closer they get to that, the closer we are to his return, right? So it's it's very uh, exciting that way. Uh, and so when, if you think about the statement then, go back to the statement, if you think about this... Uh, hyper-dimensions in the issue of the music of heaven resonating through the universe, then read through and think of the statement that the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, all the angels and authorities and powers in the universe have been subjected to him. Most of the time when we think about Jesus at the right hand of the Father, we go, boring. (whistles) Right? Oh, next to dad again, man, I had my freedom, now I'm back by dad you know, nothing to do, right? That's kind of, and what you read instead when you get this is an incredibly dynamic thing going on. That there's all kinds of things going on in the spiritual realm and there's all kinds of entities in the spiritual realm that we don't know about, that you've read about in the Bible, they've hinted at, talked about. Sometimes the those crash into our reality and sometimes um, we get pictures or windows of it. But in the midst of this, Peter is talking about what to do uh, as a result of Jesus going through the heavens. Uh, When we come to our mission statement, what we say is, and you've seen this many times before, but Northview Community Church is committed to encouraging people to become more like Jesus by celebrating God, serving one another, and sharing God's love with the world. I want you to notice the phrase up there, encouraging people to become more like Jesus. So what does that actually mean? Well, Peter explores this in the next section that we're coming to. So let's put it up. Take your Bibles look. We'll start with verse 1. We'll read through verse 6. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions drunkenness orgies drinking parties and lawless idolatry with respect to this they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead for why for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh the way people are they might live in the spirit the way God does so let's go back to the beginning here in and pull this apart a little bit. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time has passed that suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. So... What Peter's suggesting here is if we want to become like Christ and if it's Norfew's goal to encourage people to become more like Christ, we have to think like Christ, right? And what Peter said is Jesus armed himself and therefore we need to arm ourselves with the same kind of thinking that he had. Now if you think about it, we're armed in a lot of ways these days, right? We're armed with guns, right? And obviously that became very apparent last week. Um, we're armed with knives and security alarms and planes and ships and bombs and missiles. And even more than that, we're armed rhetorically, right? There's enormous rhetorical arguments going on that have been marshaled in forced And our our armament, uh, our country's armament uh, in that way, we, we call it politics, right? It's a way of arming yourself rhetorically. But here it says to do something completely different, and that is to arm ourselves... Not the way the world arms itself, but to arm ourselves by thinking the way that Jesus thought. And so one of the questions is, well, what kind of thinking did he have? In John 14, which is right before the Last Supper and right before the cross, John, uh, Jesus is speaking and John records Jesus' thoughts in uh, 14 to 17, which is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. And in chapter 14, he says this, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn. And here's what he said. And I think this is one of the premier statements that Jesus made on on the planet while he was here. He says, I have come that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Now where Jesus says you want to know what I'm really thinking about you want to know what I'm really aiming at I have come to do exactly what my dad told me to do by the way happy Father's day right God he's a good father he's got a great son and the son was focused on what dad had coached him in what dad had planned him uh, planned with him and so out of that he knew that he would suffer he knew that was part of the setup He was talking at this point here about fulfilling his father's plan for salvation and what the cost would be involved. And he was also talking about suffering on the cross. He knew that was part of it. So if we were to arm ourselves the same way that Jesus armed ourselves, where would we take our cues from? Well, we would take our cues from Jesus, right? And what has he said to us about that? Well, in Luke 9, he paraphrases something very similar to what uh, the Father had said to him. He, says, he said to all, and notice it says all, not to just some of them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In another translation says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Right. And many of us are aware of that. The price tag to that. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So in other words, if you take this hyper-dimension, 11 dimensions thing that we've been talking about in the film, Jesus comes out of that, and he comes to judge the living and the dead. Is that a little more active this morning now, when you think of that? Right? And here's the thing I've realized... Uh, about life is that you can have a lot of questions, right? Like you have questions, I have questions. How does God do this? How does that work? How's that? But one of the things that really kills questions is when you actually see reality. Okay, when you actually see a reality, you go, "Oh, well, that's what it really is," and all your questions go right. And I want to suggest to you that a lot of people think they're going to argue and bark and wrestle and rhetorically outgun God with things. And if it is this strings of music playing through the universe and we run up to that, we're going to go, that's what it is. Oh, my word. And that's why the Bible says every tongue will be silenced. Every knee will bow. Because when we run into the reality, we're going to go, ho, ho. I guess I don't have questions anymore. And that's why the Bible says we will be stunned into silence because it will be so far beyond what we can comprehend and what we can grasp on this level that it will absolutely shock us. right? But it's going to answer a whole lot of questions without ever saying a word. And therefore all God has to do is look and we know. It's a, it's a frightening thing when it talks about that. Peter goes on to say that, so if we're going to arm ourselves with the same kind of thinking, that would mean then, like Jesus said, we will also have to suffer. All right? I wish I had a different message and I wish there was another way to say this. And I wish I could say you could be rich and beautiful and fabulous and get everything you want in life. It'll never cost you a cent, never hurt you. And you go to heaven, you punch the card, you're in and God hugs you and you're, you're done. All right? That is not the, the message that scripture says. And scripture says, we will suffer. Peter goes on in 4.12, we'll look at this next week some more, but he says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Peter assumed that suffering was part of the package. He's learned some things now. He's gained some things, and he's coming and going, hey, this is part of the journey. It's going to be part of what you travel. And, uh, you know, many of us look and and wonder what's going on. I'm reading two books right now, both of which I would recommend. If you want some insight to the present, look to the past, right? And uh, two books that I've been reading. One is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's biography by uh, Eric Metastas. Um, which talks about pre-war Germany. And the other one is in the Garden of the Beast by Eric Anderson. And both of those capture what uh, it looked like in Germany in 1930, 29 to 33, which is pre-World War II, right? But if you read that, it's absolutely chilling because when you read it, you will recognize us. And one of the terms in the book that they did in Germany was the goal was to synchronize. It was called synchronization. And get everybody synchronized along the same mind and the same way to think. And the problem is the only people who really resist that? Christians. And you watch the turmoil within the church and you recognize that's exactly what we're going through right now. And so Peter has a word here, I think, for us that if you want to be like Jesus, you need to be prepared to suffer. And what are we to do when suffering comes? Just as Jesus kept his eyes on his Father, so through the power of the Holy Spirit we are to keep our eyes on Jesus. Right, the farther it slides, the more we focus. And what Peter's saying is, it's sliding. It was sliding in his days, and it was sliding in our day. With respect to this, he says, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. You saw that list in the. Verses 1, 2, 3 kind of characterizes the living. Debauchery is just Fat Tuesday, Mardi Gras, frat parties, drunken, brawling, and reveling, right? Let her rip. Anything goes. And what our world's saying today is anything goes. Anything you want to try, anything you want to taste, anything you want to do, there are no more rules or structures anymore. And, and just let it go. We were watching a, a movie last night with our family, a cute movie. It's the idea of an old retired guy who gets hired on as an intern. And... Uh, it comes in a brand new you know, modern hip company and that kind of stuff. And when we got done with the movie, I said to uh, I went upstairs and I was sitting in uh, Kayla and Abby's bedroom because they're roommates again now in Kayla's home. And uh, I said, So, what was the lie in that movie? Oh, Dad, you're wrecking it. It was such a great movie. So cute. You know, and now you're messing it all up. And I said, No, what was the lie? And they went back and they told me about the movie. And, and finally, I said, So, what happened to the little girl? They went, oh, we hadn't thought of that. And I said, yeah, they don't. They leave that part out. And everything in our culture now is bent that way. Think like we think. Act like we act. And if you don't, it says you're going to get railed on. And trust me, they're really good at railing. Okay, If you've ever been in the midst of something like that, which I have, um, it's a full-out attack. And they are skilled and capable at it. They are very good at what they do. And so uh, w- Peter says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. Okay, w- The word we saw in Peter earlier was revile. Right? And what did Peter say? Don't return evil for evil and don't return reviling for reviling. He says, why? Because you're going to get reviled or maligned. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. On this living and dead... What it's talking about is other people who were also maligned for the sake of the cross, for the sake of God's kingdom. They were ripped. They got falsely judged. Many of them uh, ended up dead for the sake of a promise that God had given them. It says that for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit, the way God does. And so these people were from the world's eyes, losers. They 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 didn't win, and the world judged them that way, and the world wrote them off, and uh, they didn't account for anything in their eyes. But God says there'll come a time when that gets flipped, and they will they will live in the Spirit the way God does. Now who are these dead that we're talking about? Well, they are all the saints that died before Jesus came, who were only given a promise. They were told about the promise of the Messiah. They never saw the Messiah, but they trusted God and believed in the promise that God had given them about this Messiah. And so the gospel was preached to all those saints of God who preceded us without the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, the announcement was made through the entire universe of who Jesus was that Here is God's actual long-promised Messiah, and all heaven kicked into music, right? Think about all that music playing. The hallelujah chorus is going full blast, and the people are going, and they're going, Him, Him, He's there. Wow, can you imagine what was going on in heaven when all those saints actually saw Jesus for the first time? They had only had a promise. How do I know that? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 11. It gives us some insight into this. It says, all these died in faith. Now, if you want to know who all these were, go to Hebrews 11. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And it tells the stories of those who died in faith. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Just think about these people. They had no New Testament. Many of them didn't have the whole Old Testament. Most of them had uh, the first five books. Some of them didn't even have that. There was no Old Testament when Abraham left his original country, the of Chaldees, and started heading over to Canaan. There was no Bible. He had a promise. God had spoken to him. And it says he believed God, and God counted to him as righteousness. It says, They acknowledged that they were strangers in exile on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been se- thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, and obviously this is, a, you know, Abraham it right fits into this really well. Uh, had gone out, they would have opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And in other words, God... Gave them a promise. They hung on to that promise. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, the proclamation was made to the universe, and all the angels, all the principalities, all the powers, all the rulers suddenly realized who Jesus was. And the tables went boom. And all the people who were losers suddenly became winners. And all the ones who were winners suddenly became losers because of that proclamation. Now we sit in a day and an age again. Do we look like we're winning this morning? Charge. Right. Yeah. What's going on? Well, we are being intimidated. We are being told it isn't worth it. And I want to suggest that uh, today we need to fight to good fight. All right. And to stand strong for the gospel, that it's really important that we stay with the word of God, that it's really important we stay in the word of God. First Corinthians says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. This is a great Father's Day verse. Act like men, be strong, and let all you do be done in love. Guys, usually, uh, for us, what happens is uh, the anger comes out in our tone, right? We don't communicate love in our tone. And you've heard me say that before. I'll say it again. It it comes out, our wives pick up on it really quickly, and we squash them with our tone. And, And... Paul here is saying, Let all that you do be done in love. Who learned that? Paul. Right, we're learning some great life lessons from Paul and Peter here. Remember what Jesus said, forever is ashamed of me in my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. In other words, don't be ashamed of the gospel, don't be ashamed of eternal life, but give the hope you have in your heart, Peter says, with gentleness and respect. Galatians 6, nine also has something for us I think is important. It says, let us not grow weary of doing good. You ever just get tired of doing good? Like, it doesn't seem to be getting me anywhere. What have I really produced? I mean, what do I really have to show? And, oh, this is so hard, and nobody else seems to be doing it. And I'm like, you know, and it just gets to be weary. And when we get weary, we quit. A lot of times we'll quit three-quarters of the way through. And if we'd only stayed out that last part, we would have saw it to the finish. Can you look back on any of, any of your uh, adventures in life where you quit too soon? You can think of a place where you quit too soon? Right? And go, oh, man, I wish I had. Why didn't I stick it out? Why didn't I done that? And part of here is the idea of not growing weary. If we're talking about becoming like Jesus, um, in our mission statement we, we said that and obviously scripture says that one of the ways is to do that together, right? We here we do small groups, we call them community groups, we talk about having a posse, don't do life alone because it's so easy to get discouraged. It is so easy to get distracted. Right? I mean, summer's coming and we can have fun during summer and pretty soon what happens, the word goes and then pretty soon prayer goes and then we come back and fall and go, wow, what happened to me? I am so far away from God. Well, I want to suggest something this morning. If you and God are far apart, who moved? Right? We, it's so easy to stop doing good. Because it seems like it's a lot of effort and I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to put any more effort in. And yet we have the Holy Spirit who can encourage us. And what I want to suggest this morning is, you know, only dead fish float downstream. Right? You don't get this a fishing illustration? Hello? Live fish swim upstream. Right? Let's not be dead fish. Let's be alive in our faith. Right? Ichthus symbol of fish. Hello. Okay. All right. First two got it better. You guys are, ice cream's wiped you out. You're on the, sugar buzz is crashing. We're 20 minutes into it, it's over. Where's my lunch? Yeah, I got it. Okay. But only live fish swim upstream, right? And the idea here is we've got to keep swimming upstream. We've got to keep aiming at um, not being ashamed of being watchful, standing firm in the faith and acting together. Don't grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if what? We don't give Okay. You know, can you think of anybody in your world, in your sphere of influence, all right, go through your card file, those of you who are under 30 are going, what's a card file? Uh, through your email list. All right. Think through, do you know anybody who's quit on the faith? you know anybody who should be here this morning who isn't here? There's a lot of them, aren't there? there are a lot of people who should be here who aren't here. A lot of people are quitting up. And matter of fact, it comes to a point where Jesus says, when I come back in that glory, will, will I even find faith on the earth? Right? It's that questionable. Right? I'd like to be a group of people that says, yes, there will be a Lord, and it's us. It's us. We'll stick it out to the end. and Whatever you've called us to do. So the question this morning is, what has God called you to do? What has Jesus asked you to do? You've all been given a job. You've all been given an assignment. Some of us are going to go be missionaries. Some of us... Get to be pastors. I almost said have to. Uh, right? Get to be pastors. And yes, we better do our job well because those are mucky-muck spiritual roles, right? But so should you. What has Jesus called you to do? It's that important. It's every bit as important as what I do or what Scott and Noel are going to do or what other people have to do. What has Jesus called you to do? And don't grow weary of doing it. Stay with it. Why? Because if... Michio Kaku is right. I can't say his name right. There's a whole nother reality coming that's going to blow our minds. They're closing in on what Scripture said for 2,000 years. Okay, And it's, it's, it's something that we have to wrap ourselves and say, finish all the way through, no matter how tough it gets. And I believe it's going to get tougher. Okay? Not better. I may be wrong, and I hope so, with all my heart. But I don't think I am. Okay? Let's finish the race together. All right, so let's pray. Father, as we end on that note, certainly we don't have the strength. We know our own hearts. We go sideways so quickly. Could we ask you this morning on Father's Day for your help as a father? Would you help us through the power of your Spirit to have a steadfastness and a fortitude that will amaze the world? Would you help us to be... Uh, steady and faithful in our heart. Would you help us, Lord, to not give up and grow weary of doing your kingdom stuff. And Lord, we pray that you would wake up, shake up, and uh, those who have lost hope or who have fallen away, reignite them and bring them back. And Lord, many who don't even know you yet need to know you, and they need to, like Anthony, suddenly see what you really bring to an equation. And so we ask that this morning, that you would help us um, where we're weak and where you're strong. And we ask this in your name. Amen.